So I hope you remember uh, to keep those things in prayer uh, this week. Okay. All right. Well, if you uh, saw the post, I'm not sure if you did or not. Uh, if you didn't, that's fine. You don't have to. But um, I did put out today on the, the church uh, Facebook private page, we'll be doing Q&A tonight and uh, answering questions. And so um, I hope maybe you uh, asked uh, or have a question prepared uh, to ask. Um, and uh, if not, then we'll just uh, twiddle our thumbs. I'm kidding, kidding. All right, Ms. Don. A doozy. Wait, doozies, you can't do doozies until like 15 minutes before it's time to end so I can get, end it really fast, you know. Okay. You found a new passage? That is a doozy. <laughs> right, right. Numbers 5, okay. Sure. So basically, you're saying she's using this passage as a passage showing that it is okay to have an abortion. That's what I thought. That's what I thought you were going there. Okay. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I have no question that our God is very clear. Mm-hmm. And he would never say in there that, oh, he's going to cause a priest to have a woman to see that she was unfaithful. Right. So I guess my question is, 
Sure. Right. Um, that is something I would definitely have to look into. I don't speak Hebrew, um, and so I would have to look and to find out what those words are being translated. Um, but again, thinking, again, looking at the context, if you're looking in Numbers chapter 5, um, and basically, again, she's kind of explained what's happening. Basically, if, if um, uh, a married husband and wife, and um, the man thinks, uh, somehow b- believes that his wife has been unfaithful, um, and has basically committed adultery, uh, then he can take her to the priest um, and basically explain to the priest what has happened. Um, and then the priest will, um, and again, I, I don't think it's, it, it's not the concoction, if I could say that, that, that she's drinking or whatever. Um, it says in verse 15, Then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal, you shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bring iniquity to remembrance, and the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord, and the priest shall take the holy water in the earthen vessel, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it in the water, and the priest shall set the woman before the Lord, and uncover the woman's head, and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is jealousy offering. The priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. The priest shall charge her by an oath, and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast... Uh, not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this uh, bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. The priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell. This water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels uh, to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot, and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. So again, get the picture here. So um, first of all, we have to understand how important um, purity is to God, right? Um, because it's not just purity before marriage, right? And, and for whatever reason, I, I don't understand this, but for some reason, in, in many circles today, purity is a bad word. And I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about in church circles today. In many church circles today, uh, there is this push against purity, you know. And, and I don't understand that. Because when you go back and you study scripture, it's very clear what God thinks about any type of sexual relationship before marriage and even after the marriage vows have been taken, okay? Um, and so we, it, it is important that we understand what the Bible says about purity, right? Uh, God says very clearly that a man and a woman are not to have that sexual relationship before marriage, okay? They're not to do that. Why? Because that sexual relationship was something that God designed for marriage, period, that's, where, that's what God designed it for, right? So we have to understand, uh, again, going back, before we even unpack this, Numbers chapter 5, we've got to go back to the foundation and say, look, God designed that marriage be, be between one man and one woman, one woman, and there is to be no sexual relationship before marriage, and then when they come together in marriage, the only sexual relationship is between that man and that woman. There is no, not to be sexual relationship outside of the marriage bounds, right? That's God's plan, 
Okay? And when we understand God's plan, then we understand why God looks so severely at these other things. Right? You can say, well, God's just a mean God. He doesn't want us to have fun. No, no, no. You have to understand what God says and what he, how he views things. He wants there to be purity. Right? Uh, there is to be purity in a, in a man and a woman as they come to, uh, to that marriage, as they get ready to get married. They ought to be pure. Right? The only way they can do that is by refraining from sexual relationships. Okay? And I know in our society and age today that that might be difficult to do. And people say, well, that's just impossible. You know, everybody's doing it. Uh, well, look, it's been impossible for 6,000 years. Okay? Um, the, the devil's been against it for 6,000 years. And so it's not just our society. It's been something that has always been attacked. Okay. I mean, you look at, you want to talk about a pretty sick society, go back and look in Paul's day and some of the places that he went and visited and how he had to teach on marriage. I mean, it ain't nothing compared to what we got today. Right. So we have to understand what God, how God views marriage, right? And that's why all the way back in Genesis, God made one man, one woman, brought them together in that marriage, okay, in marriage. And so when you understand, and then again, as God gives the laws and talks about marriage and things, um, how there is to be that, uh, that purity even in marriage, right? Um, so again, you say, well, how can there be purity in marriage if they're having a sexual relationship? In marriage, that is pure, we understand that? In marriage, the sexual relationship is pure. It is impure when we go outside the bounds of marriage, right? Whether that is before marriage or after marriage, that's when it becomes impure, right? And that's why even in the book of Hebrews, what does he tell us there? Really quick, turn over there. Um, in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, right? Hebrews chapter 13, he says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, right? Again, he's talking about before marriage, there should be no infidelity. There should be no sexual relationship. And then in marriage, in marriage, that sexual relationship is to be between that husband, that wife, period. Not going outside the bounds. Not, uh, again, this is what he says. Uh, it's honorable in all and the bed undefiled, in marriage, that sexual relationship is pure because it's the way God designed it to be. And that's why he doesn't want going outside of marriage, right? So then what happens is, again, under, under the Jewish law here, what would happen is if a man felt that his wife had had a, uh, an affair or was, had committed adultery, because again, this is serious to God, right? Then he could bring her before the priest and he could say, hey, you know, I, Whatever, whatever reason or whatever, I, th I think this has happened. And so, um, you know, I, I brought her to you here. And so basically the priest would, would talk to the woman and they, she would bring the, or he would bring this offering and she would bring the offering. Um, and then the priest would take the, the water from the temple. And, and again, like I said, it's, it's not the concoction. Did you see what the concoction was? Dust from the ground, right? It's not the concoction, right? What is it? It's, it's coming before God. She's, she's having an opportunity to repent of her sin if she did commit sin, right? If she committed no sin, she has nothing to repent of, okay? But if she has committed sin and she has committed adultery and she has gone outside the bound of marriage, then she has an opportunity to repent of it there before the priest at the temple. She can repent of it, right? But if she refuses to repent, right? Then she is to take that, that water with, mixed with that dust and she's to drink it. And this is what the priest says, right? Um, um, 
If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free of this bitter water that causeth curse. He said, if you have not committed anything wrong, you got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. This is not going to do anything to you. But if you have committed this sin, right? If thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband, then he says, you're going to be in trouble, right? Again, what is the opportunity here? Repent. Repent. He's giving there an opportunity to repent and, and do it right, okay? But if not, then the, there's just going to be this oath of cursing and, uh, again, her, uh, the belly to, to swell, the thigh to rot, right? So, again, this is very, very important. And, and here's where, uh, again, I, I, I don't know the exact word that is translated from the Hebrew, but um, I would be very skeptical to think that this is referring to a miscarriage. And here's why, right? Not every sexual encounter ends up in pregnancy, Not every sexual encounter ends up in pregnancy, right? So, so let's just say, for example, that she did commit infidelity, but she didn't get pregnant. Now what? Is she not still going to be cursed? She's still going to be cursed, even though it didn't end up in a pregnancy, Right? So again, we have to, again, nowhere in this does it say that she is pregnant. We're putting words into scripture that aren't there. Does not say she's pregnant. It just says she has had an affair. She's had an adultery. And I really hate the word affair, right? Let's just, let's just call sin what it is. It's adultery. That's what God calls it. It's not an affair. It's adultery, okay? Affair is like, oh, it's kind of a cool thing. Everybody's having affairs. Nobody's going to be like, oh, everybody's having adulteries. That just doesn't sound right. doesn't sound good. You know why? Because it's not good. It's not good. Okay? And so nowhere in this does it say that the woman ever becomes pregnant at all. It just says she has lined with another person, a line with another man other than her husband. Okay? She's had that sexual relationship. doesn't say she got pregnant. Okay? And again, there are many adulterous acts that take place where the person does not get pregnant. So is it only the pregnant people that are going to be cursed? No, right? It's anyone that had that adulterous affair and then was brought before the priest and truly did have an adulterous affair. If, hey, again, if she didn't do it, she's got nothing to worry about, okay? But if she did and she doesn't repent and she drinks that, then God says there's going to be a curse upon her. Okay? And again, I, I don't really uh, know the words, and, and I'll go back and study what those words are as far as the belly to swell and the thigh to rot, but this, this has nothing to do with uh, being able to say, well, hey, um, you know, abortions are okay. Nowhere does ever God say a, a killing a baby is right. Nowhere. Okay? Um, and so, uh, again, I, I'll definitely go back and look at what, you know, what the Hebrew words are in things. But again, looking at context, number one, never says she was pregnant. Just said she had it. She was adulterous, right? Um, and then, uh, again, because if it's only, you know, if it's only pregnant women that this would happen to, what happened to those that committed adultery that didn't get pregnant? You know, that, 
they still committed adultery, right? That's, that's the sin. It's not whether they got pregnant or not. It's the sin of adultery, okay? Does everybody understand that, right? Yeah. Right. An accusation mm-hmm. which tells me she's not pregnant. Mm-hmm. She has no idea. Secondly, God has already said the punishment for adultery, mm-hmm. man or woman, right. death. Mm-hmm. And we think it's punishment. Right. It's not mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what God said. If, if they were caught committing adultery, they were to be taken out and stoned. And that's what would happen in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll definitely go back and look more into it. But there, there's. I was bored to even hear that that was brought up. I think this woman that I know, her daughter, a borderline and extreme feminist. Mm-hmm. And I was not even aware that this was even a concept. I'm not. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently that's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, as you started explaining it, my mind ex- went exactly to where I th- is she going? That this is going to be okay to actually have abortions. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, well, for another thing, an abortion is different than a miscarriage. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I, I'll definitely go back and look at some of those words. And, um, but again, just, just even the context of it does not insinuate that at all. Um, nowhere. Yeah, Miss Donna? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. In other words, that she was not, she did not have, um, so basically it's, again, when you look at it, um, so several things could happen, right? One, she could be taken out and stoned to death, or she could be put away. Sound familiar? Who else do we know was going to be put away? Mary. Why? She was thought that she had committed adultery. She's pregnant. Literally, okay? It was very obvious. She was pregnant. Joseph didn't want to have her stoned, so what was he going to do? He was going to put her away privately, right? So they, could either, they would either be stoned or they'd be put away privately, right? But here's the thing. If, obviously, if it resulted in a stoning, right, I mean, they're, they're dead anyway. But if not, and this is where the curse comes in, if she had committed adultery and she did go before the priest, and again, here, here's... Again, I, I think we don't, we, we kind of, um, she has an opportunity to repent. And she refuses to repent. She willful again, if she has done this, right? And she refuses to repent, right? Okay. <clears throat> wow, this is really close to the question that somebody else asked that I'd really like to get into tonight too. Um, so if she has Come to the priest, she refuses, she still said, no, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, and, you know, who knows what the attitude is, but she knows that she did. No, didn't do it, didn't do it, didn't do it, right? And then she goes ahead and drinks that water, right? Then God says, 
she's going to have that curse upon her, right? And again, with that, even with that verse number 28, it seems like it's not so much that it causes a miscarriage, but it causes that she cannot have children again, or she wouldn't be able to have children anymore, right? Um, Because of this, and again, not, not necessarily because of the adulterous affair, but because of saying, God, I know what you've said is true. I know you've given me an opportunity to repent, and I don't care. It's the, it's the whole flippant attitude. Yes, I know I've done it, and I'm going to say that I didn't do it, but I know I did, and I don't care what happens. Right? And, and again, that's, look, folks, we can, we can have the same attitude. Right? We can have the same attitude towards sin. We can get involved in the sin so much, you'll be like, God, I don't care what you say about it. I, I know it's wrong, but I don't care. I'm just going to do it anyway. And God gives us an opportunity to repent. And we say, no, not going to do it. And God gives us an opportunity to repent. And we say, no, not going to do it. And finally, God says, all right, done. This is what's happening. God says, I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. Are you willing to repent? No. All right, so here's the curse. Are you willing to accept it? Yeah, fine. Did you see that? She said it, right? Look in verse number 22. This water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, amen, amen. What does the word amen mean? I agree. So the woman's saying, yeah, fine, go ahead. Again, we're talking about one that has committed the sin. We're not talking about the one that hasn't done anything wrong. The one that's committed the sin. Yeah, I don't care. Whatever. Just a blatant, flippant attitude about it. Right? And that's why God says, all right, then here's going to be the curse. And again, it's not, it's not the water. It's God that's cursing her. God is the one that has cursed her because, and again, not because she could have repented. But it's the attitude of saying, I don't care, God. I'll even stand here before the priest and I'll tell him I didn't do it. And I'm going to tell God I didn't do it, even though I know I did it. And I don't care about the consequences. Bring it on. Mm. That's not a good place to be, folks. You say, man, that's serious. Yeah, it is. Because when you start having that attitude toward God, you've made, you've made the wrong enemy there. Right? But, yeah, that's, that's very good. I'll go back and look at some of those questions there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was good. That was a doozy. I was not expecting that one. Yeah. It's good, though. Right? Anybody else have a good question? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, James chapter 4. Sorry? Oh, yeah. So, 
That's, that's a good question. If you didn't hear it, what is the difference between rebuking the devil, resisting the devil? Are we told to rebuke the devil, right? Um, and I, I've, heard, I've heard people do that as well, right? Um, I, I've heard, you know, in a church service, you know, Satan, we bind you in Jesus' name, you know, you know all, this, all this kind of stuff, right? One, um, do we have the power to rebuke Satan and bind Satan? Um, and I believe the answer to that is very clearly no. We don't have the power to bind Satan, right? Um, I mean, Satan is not going to be bound until the millennial reign of Christ, and it's God that does the binding. God binds Satan for a thousand years. Nobody else can do that. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and even you know, um, again, we, we could we could pull out other passages of scripture, um, but just just here, notice in, in James chapter four, verse number seven, he says, "Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God; he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded." Be afflicted and mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. So think about what he's saying here. Again, Paul is writing, or excuse me, not Paul, but James is writing. And uh, again, you, you go back up to verse number five. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So he's talking about this, this battle between the lust, and our, the lust of the flesh and the spirit, Right? And that's what he's talking about, right? This whole, this whole idea of whence come of the wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill, desire to have. Ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. So he's talking about the lust, right? The desire to have, okay? Always wanting more, never being content. Always wanting more, 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 right? And of course, that is, that is the sin of the devil. There's no, there's no doubt about that, okay? The devil is not content to be an angel, even though he was probably one of the most powerful angels that God created, he was not content to be that angel. He was not content to be a servant. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be and take over heaven, right? And so it was because of his, um, he was not content, uh, and therefore he had a lust, he had a desire. And again, a lot of times we think lust is physical, like a physical attraction. That's not always what lust is, right? Lust is just simply saying, I want something that somebody else has, and I'm going to do anything I can to get it, right? Very similar to covetousness, okay? Uh, we're lusting after that. We're thinking about it. We're desiring it. We're all, it's always on our mind. We want it, okay? It could be a position at work, right? Uh, it could be a car. It could be a, a boat. It could be a hobby. It could be a gun, whatever it might be, right? Um, as in this case, what is it? Countries. That's what it talks about. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not even of your lusts that war in your members? Right? I mean, countries going to war against one another. Many times it's because of lust. I want something that they have. Okay? Um, and so it brings this about. So he, he goes on, um, right, in verse number four, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Again, this is spiritual. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So again, he's talking about which side are we on? Are we on the world's side or are we on God's side? If we're on the world's side, even as a Christian, then he says, guess what we're committing? Spiritual adultery, right? 
If we're, not, if we're not lining up on God's side and saying, God, I'm following you, I'm serving you, but we're lining up on the world's side and it's all about me and it's all about the flesh, he said, we've committed spiritual adultery. We are the enemy of God, right? Um, and so we've got to understand what he's saying here. And so again, going down, he says, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So the spirit that we have, the Holy Spirit of God, is that, is that spirit going to lead us to lust? The survey says, no, right? The Spirit of God is not going to lead us to lust, right? So then why do we have lust? Why do we have envy? Why do we have covetousness? Whose spirit are we following? The spirit of the flesh, right? We're following our own spirit, okay? That's what leads to these things. We're not following the Spirit of God. We're following our flesh. We're following our own desires, okay? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble, right? So again, he's talking about, hey, in order to be able to yield to the Spirit of God, we have to humble ourselves. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. Look, say, I I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I need to follow God's plan and what God is doing instead of me. I, I need to trust God instead of me, right? So he says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble, right? So then what does he say? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So we have to submit to God and, watch what he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, again, here's where we have to understand. There is a big difference between demon possession and demon oppression. Okay? A Christian, a person who has accepted Christ as their Savior, cannot be demon-possessed. It is impossible you cannot be demon-possessed. Here's why. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, well, we can just turn there. Hold your place in James. Go back to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What's he say in verse number 19? He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, God says, you belong to him. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Okay? You belong to God. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. That's why we need to yield to the Holy Spirit of God. We belong to him, right? But then turn over with me to 2 Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verse number 14. He says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice, who does God say is dwelling in us? Well, he's in 1 Corinthians 6, he said the Holy Spirit is. Who did he just say here in verse number 16? And God hath said, I will dwell in them. So who's dwelling in us? God is. Now, you're going to tell me there's room for the devil in there too? No. 
There's no room for the devil in there. You belong to God. God lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, right? There, there's no room for the devil in there. You're not going to have God living inside of you and the devil living inside of you as well. Now, I know sometimes we think about that with our kids because we think they're little devils, but, you know, a little bit different there, okay? He's talking about literally, okay? You cannot, you cannot be the temple of God and the temple of the devil as well. You're either one or the other. And once you accept Christ as your Savior, you can never be the temple of the devil because Jesus is living inside of you. And Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Doors closed to the devil. For possession, you belong to God, right? It's not possible to be possessed by the devil or by these demonic spirits. But we can be oppressed, right? There is oppression, Okay, And this is where, from the outside, the devil tries to work on us constantly. He's trying to work on us constantly, try to get us to fail, try to get us to get discouraged, try to get us to stop following God. There's always going to be that constant. Now, obviously, there, you can be in places where you can feel demonic oppression a whole lot more, right? Uh, you can go to some countries where there really is demonic possession taking place, and you can get into some places where you can really feel there is demonic oppression going on right? Uh, I don't encourage that. Stay as far away from that as you can, okay? Never does the Bible ever tell us to get involved in that kind of stuff. You say, well, well, Jesus cast out the, de- the demons. Yeah, that was Jesus. Well, Paul cast out the devils. Yeah, that was Paul. Well, Peter pa- cast out the devil. That was Peter. Those were, the, those were the apostles of God, right? God gave them specific power and abilities to be able to do that, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So when he comes here and he says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, Okay, this is not a resisting the devil of his possession of you. We don't have to worry about his possessing me, right? Never have to worry about the devil possessing me. But I do have to understand the devil is always going to fight, right? Even Peter says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What's he trying to do? He's trying to oppress you. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to defeat you, okay? And so he's always going to be there. He's always going to be trying to attack, right? So what does he say? Resist the devil, right? Resist those things. Again, what is the context of what we're looking at here in James? What's the context? Come on, we've been talking about what's the context here in James chapter four? What? I I can't hear you. You're doing that on purpose, aren't you? The battle between the flesh and the spirit, right? Lusting, right? Wanting things that we're, we're not supposed to have, right? The yielding to the flesh or yielding to the spirit, okay? And so what he's saying, if you want to get victory over the flesh, you want to get victory over the devil in these things, resist the devil, right? But what does he say before that? Humble yourself. God giveth, he resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Look, you, you want to know how to be able to get victory over the devil and over the flesh? It's simple. Submit yourself to God. Now, here's the thing. Submitting yourself to God doesn't mean the devil's not going to attack you anymore. What does it mean? When I submit myself to God, is the devil going to stop attacking? No. He still says resist the devil right after he says submit yourself to God. 
But why does he say that after submit yourself to God, resist the devil? God never does anything by chance. Why does he say resist the devil after he says submit yourself to God? Well, it's true. If you're submitting to God, the devil's not going to be happy. But why does he say resist the devil after he says submit yourself to God? It's not? Okay, you have God's power, right? You're going to have God's power to resist him. Ms. Leah? Okay, so when you submit to God, you, the devil's trying to get you back because you're, you're, you're submitting to God, okay? All right, somebody else? Okay, I mean, I mean, but the, the devil's still going to fight. Yeah. I mean, that, he says resist the devil after he says submit to God. Why does he say resist the devil after he says submit to God? I mean, wouldn't that be first resist the devil, then submit to God? No, he says it reverse. Submit to God, then resist the devil. Why? Okay, he gives you strength. Rob? Yeah. Hmm. Anybody? Come on, think about it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a very good point too. When you're submitting to God, you're 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 following God. You're under His uh, guidance and things in your life, right? Okay. You're putting on the armor of God, right? Okay. So, so watch what he says here. Sub, submit yourself to God, right? Again, look, look, at the, look at what he says. God resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So when I submit to God, that I'm saying, God, your way is right for me. Your way is right. Not my way. Your way is right. I'm going to submit myself to you. And now that I know God's way, and I know what God says is right, then am I able to resist the devil because the devil's way is always going to be opposite to God's way. If you don't know God's way, it's going to be very hard to resist the devil. If you don't know what God says, and if you don't have a solid foundation, what God says is true and what God says is right, you're going to have a very difficult time resisting the devil. It's going to be very hard. And that's why he says, submit yourselves to God first. When I submit myself to God, I say, God, your way is right, and I may not understand it all, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to follow you. Then when the devil brings these things in, it's going to be much easier for me to resist because, hey, wait, hold on a second. That's not God's way. That, that's not the way that God says is right here. So I'm going to be able to resist that much easier. Again, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be easier to resist the devil if I know what God says is right and if I know what God says is true. So he says, submit yourself to the devil, or excuse me, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. As I know what God says is right, as I'm studying his word and his spirit is, is living inside of me and I am, I am strengthening the spirit by his word and through uh, spiritual things and through songs and through messages and I'm, I'm strengthening the spirit uh, in my life, then as the devil comes, it will be much easier and I will be able to resist the devil so that, hey, you know what? He's going to say, he, he's, he's trusting God. 
He's following the Lord. He knows what is right. Why do you think David says in Psalms 119, in verse number 11, when he talks about wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways, then what does he say? By taking heed thereto according to thy word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What's happening? God, I know your word is right. I know what you say. And then when sin and temptation and the devil come, we're like, hey, well, hold on a second. Whoop, nope. This is what God says. This is what God's word says. This is what I need to do. And so I'm going to follow the word of God and I'm able to get victory over the devil and temptation. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what Jesus did. You read Matthew chapter 4. Jesus did the exact thing. He submitted himself to God. Could Jesus have easily have turned those stones into bread? Absolutely. But was that God's plan? No. So what do you do? I'm going to submit myself to God. And even though I know I can do it, it'd be very easy for me to do it. It's not God's plan. So I'm going to submit myself to God. By the way, the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. He submitted himself to God. He used the word of God. And guess what happened? He got victory over the devil. He got victory, right? And, and so we can get victory over the devil. It's not this whole casting the devil out, binding the devil. Uh, I, I really love the passage in the book of Acts. I'm not sure what it is, uh, where it's at, but the sons of Sceva, I love this passage, right? So Paul, Paul is, you know, he's been going through and he's been casting out demons and things like this. Well, the sons of Sceva decide they're going to cast out demons too, right? And, uh, and you can look it up. Uh, but the sons of Sceva, they come to this person. I can't remember if it's one person or a couple people. I think it's a couple people actually. And um, that, that were demon possessed. And they come in and they say, hey, we're going to cast these demons out. And they said, hey, get out of here, demons. And the demons responded, by the way, when demons start responding, you better, you better get out of there, okay? Uh, I'm, you know. So they, they start responding to these guys. Hey, uh, Paul we know, Jesus we know, who are you? You know what they did? They caused those demonic people to attack them because they didn't know what they were doing. They thought, oh, we're going to bind the devil. We're going we're gonna to cast the devil out. They had no clue what they were dealing with right? And that's why I say, look, we've, you've got to be very careful with this whole idea of, you know, casting the devil out, binding the devil. You and I are not powerful enough to do that. We're not powerful enough. I mean, let, let's just be honest. If we were that powerful, we'd have a pretty good Christian walk. Jude one nine. Jude 1 9, yet Michael the archangel who contended with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Yeah, so I mean, you have the Michael the archangel battling the devil over, over this. And he says, Look, I, I don't have power to do this, right? Um, and, and, but again, be, be careful. You know, just because you, you know, um, people get this idea, well, if I just say the name of Jesus, the devils are going to tremble in fear. No, they're not. Why would, they, why would they tremble in fear just because you say the name of Jesus? They're not going to tremble in fear. I, again, I, I, get what, <laughs> I get what a lot of these memes and things like this are doing. You know, The greatest fear that the devil ever knows is when a Christian gets on his knees. 
No, that's not the greatest fear the devil ever knows. You know why? Because he knows he's going to get off, you're going to get off your knees. He's still going to attack you, right? The greatest fear that the devil knows is God. That's who the devil's afraid of. He knows. He's, he has no power before God. But us, look, we're just, we're just human beings, okay? Yes, we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, and thank God for that. Thank God we cannot be demon-possessed, okay? Praise the Lord for that. But we don't have the power, right? You look at, you know, the, the, the apostles casting demons out and things like that. We don't have that power today, Right? Now, yeah, we can pray for someone and we can read scripture with someone and, 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 and do those things, but we don't have the power to say, demon, get out of this person. Hey, I, in the name of Jesus, I bind you. And, and I've heard people say, well, I've done it before. You know what? I, I'm just not going to have anything to do with that. Not going to have anything to do with it. Because it's something that none of us know anything about. None of us do. Right? Um. Spiritual warfare is something that, again, think about it, it's spiritual. And none of us live in a spiritual world. Understand what I'm saying? I know this is a spiritual world, but we don't live in the spirit. We live in the flesh. Okay? Do you not, do you not think there are angels and spiritual beings around us right now? There's no doubt about that. I have no, no doubt about that. But we have no idea what they're doing It's not up to us to figure that stuff out. That's up to God. Jeff, you had some. I've seen several churches and quite large too were uh, cast out demons. Yeah. I thought it was put on, you know. Most of it is, yeah. Uh, it's it's a big it's a big show, right? They'll go in and hire people before they even come in. They'll hire people to be, you know, come up and be demon possessed and and all this kind of stuff. It's it's nothing but a show. Um, because they they have no power. I've always said this. If you have power to heal people, why don't you go to the hospitals? Come on, be real. You got power to heal people? Go to the hospitals and heal people. Why does it have to be at your crusade? Bring it to my crusade. Why don't you go to the hospital? Because it's not real. It's fake. It's all a show, right? We've seen it big time, okay? Um, but, um, man time went by really fast i had several other questions um i don't know if that totally answered your question there um and uh and miss don i'll definitely look at some of those some of those uh words there and, and try to get back with you on that but all right oh well, we are out of time let's go ahead and pray all right father we do thank you for your word and uh, lord we just thank you for the opportunity to study it and uh, lord we know that your word has the answers and father we thank you that we can study it, uh, learn from it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to you so that we can resist the devil. Uh, Lord, resist the temptations and things that come into our life. Help us to draw nigh to you. Lord, just bless this week as we, uh, Lord, thinking about Thanksgiving, but Lord, I pray that even throughout this week we would just think of you and be thankful for what you have done in our life and just praise you uh, throughout the week, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you. You're dismissed.